0: Sorry to put you on the spot, yes. No, it's all good.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh no, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Uh well, you know, I mean what's in the intro, right? This is Flail Forward, right? Yep. Uh Welcome everybody to Flail Forward. My name is Leonard Balsera. Um somehow, by hook or by crook, I've been bebopping around the uh the role-playing games uh, industry such as it is for approximately 15 years Uh, and uh, sometimes they let me on this show to, I guess, host it, I guess. Um, Today you uh, do. Whether you
2: like it or not, this is not so much let, this is more roped and well, you can try to escape but we have barricaded the doors with a lot of pillows.
1: That's uh, that's cat, everybody. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I I had uh, uh, well, uh I have a a topic for discussion. So the topic is this because uh, the the hosts here, right? And I I'm uh, hoping um, or assuming that a significant portion of the listeners of this show um, have uh, aspirations toward or an interest in role-playing game design as a uh, topic. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Assuming that is the case, and I'm very sorry in advance if it's true, um, <laughs> I have a uh, I have uh, the following question because uh, a lot of of role-playing game design happens uh, as a function of parallel development, right? Uh, it is uh, uh, it, you know a, a lot of of people in a lot of different places thinking about a lot of different things, and um, you know uh, a lot of times people will come up with similar ideas like if you look at any any series of role playing game designs across a generation right it's really clear that a lot of of dis- different designers in different places were thinking about similar ideas sort of at, this, at the same time and it sort of shows up uh in in design uh so but what i was interested to know uh, and a question that i will put to the hosts is uh what was the first moment when you were looking at a at a, a game, a, a role playing game, and found a mechanic or a device or a method of presentation. It could be anything in terms of like the production design, the way the text was written, a mechanic that was in the thing. And, um, you know, we're looking through it and thought to yourself, fuck, why didn't I think of that? Um, this changes everything. And, uh, and then, uh, whatever that moment was, what did you do? Uh, how did it influence your work from there forward? What was that? What was that first transformative moment in your in your sort of trajectory as a designer, where you saw somebody else's work and you were like, "Oh."
0: Well, I have a really easy, obvious, and simple answer to this. Uh, I was looking at games, and I saw. People- and i saw the idea of gm boost from pvta and um well that's just basically been my entire design though since um no it's not, that's, quite that's strong, not a strong one but uh it's a lot of like this is how like the the, the idea of that presentation fit uh fit into how i want to run a role playing game extremely well and gave the idea of like certain dynamics that i was Trying to force other games into, in a really clear way, that I that just has basically been a huge influence on my entire design career. That isn't a a flaming garbage pile. I don't want to look at ever again.
1: <laughs> that's a really strong one too, right? Because like one of the that's one of the strengths, right? A PBTA is really the codification of its language, right? Like yes. there's so many there, it seems, especially when like you get into like the, the history of how to game master texts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of abstraction because there's so much sort of in, involved in that job, in that role, Uh, that sort of like trying to encapsulate it is, uh, is perhaps a, a Fool's errand, but, but yeah, but that certainly is a really tight way of saying, look, if you have a job, it's this. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a real strong one. hmm Like
0: how it ties into, it's like a note game I had read before, uh, like, could start, or, like, oh, how should I phrase this? The formatting of phrasing it like, this is a conversation, is so much truer to how the experience actually is than anything i would seen before. Like, I've seen advice in actual published books that said, uh, always have your characters always try to stay in character with what they say as much as possible and all that. And I cannot think of anything that is more counterproductive to actually having an engaging, fulfilling experience with good characters than that which is a really odd thing for me to say, and I don't know quite know how to break down what I mean by it entirely. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> but yes, role-playing game is, I've always been, like, conversational tone is always the best. You're building something together, all that. Sorry, I'm, I'm just buying time for anybody else to get their answers told. <laughs> <about>. <laughs> okay. okay,
2: if you want me to jump in, I can totally do that. So... I've actually managed to think of an example because it's. It was actually really difficult to think of an example because, strangely enough, most of the things that I wanted there to be other games have already done it so that I could, like, see how it was done. I went looking really hard and I found that either nobody had done. Anything like that before, they hadn't done it in the way that I had liked, or they just were not doing things in a way that worked for what I wanted out of it. So it would have been really a lot easier if I didn't have to build most of my game from scratch and design like a bunch of mechanics from the ground up. It it would have been so much nicer if I could have stolen more mechanics than I did. But I actually did get one. And strangely enough, it was actually from Karis Noir. Um, mm-hmm. So he hasn't been on the show in a while, but he totally was here for like our older episodes. So you can go back and like see his stuff as well in our archives because he had archives. But he had this really good idea for how illusions worked. And specifically, the way he was uh, dealing with illusions was basically they are a they're handled on a per sense basis for how his game does it, and it's basically like you can fool individual senses, or with uh, more effort put into it, you can basically full additional senses until it basically seems real and it just kind of struck me as like isn't this really how illusions probably should work that it's not like you know the D side of, of things where it's just in your head it's just like um you're basically tricking somebody into thinking something's there that's not really there but rather it's more like The way I ended up describing it is, it's basically like a hologram. So it's like, you can see it because it's affecting your vision. You can hear it because it is creating the sound. So it's like, it'd be like watching TV, for example, if you just did audio and visual. And that makes perfect sense that this is exactly how an illusion would work. And same thing with touch. Like, if you make an illusion of a wall and you touch the wall, you should be able to get the sensation that it's solid. Even if it's not actually solid. But it's like, your brain would automatically be like, oh yeah, it's a solid wall. I'm not going to push my full weight against it. So, or like, I feel fire. I don't want to, you know, test the fire and see if it actually burns me. It's like, as soon as I touch the fire, immediately I I jerk my hand back. So, as long as it causes the sensation of burning, that's all you really need the fire to do. So, yeah, I ended up, like, basically stealing that wholesale. And he's aware of it because I mentioned it to him, like, a few months later. And he was like... You got that from my game, didn't you? And it's like, oh, that's where I got it from. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I forgot the original point. But that's how I remember that's where I got it from.
3: That's awesome. Yeah, Carr had some really cool design ideas in his game. So I'm I'm not oh, surprised yeah. that you ended up taking some stuff even uh, inadvertently. So Guess
0: there's also it makes sense. But I have to ask, uh with your game, uh, wouldn't, uh, like, wouldn't certain, oh god, how do I phrase this? Wouldn't certain illusions be effective against, more effective against certain people in your game than others? Like, is there, is there illusions that, like, do, is there, uh, like period where like, people are learning illusion magic in- thrust into the setting, have to learn, oh yeah, I need to f- actually focus on smell more on these illusions because of- because these people will really notice if I don't do it properly.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, one thing in particular to keep in mind is what senses somebody has. Like I tried to emphasize for my game specifically that um different species some of them actually have senses other than the standard five that most humans have technically humans have six they have sort of a indirect sense of just picking up on like a bunch of minor details like you know hair standing on the back your neck stuff like that see there is kind of that sixth sense but the idea is that like different species could have things like sonar, or um, one of them actually has a Lorenzini sense based loosely off sharks, where the idea is they have like magic sensitive like jelly filled pores um, within their skin, so they can sense magic nearby them like they don't actually have to touch it so as long as it's nearby they can get a sense of the general direction how far away it is how strong it is and such so things like that if you made an illusion and you did not include the sense it makes it much easier for them to notice that something is wrong with it because it doesn't show up at all. So it would basically be like, if somebody's like a blind person and they've tried to make an illusion and just because they're not used to thinking about like the sight aspect of it because they don't have that sense, if they don't include it, it's like oh yeah it's like there's totally like a monster standing right there and it's like um we can't see it is it invisible it's like oh shit, right about that uh yeah it's totally invisible and then they'd have to play that off right but yeah it's like just because it doesn't fool all of your senses it doesn't guarantee that you'll notice something's wrong it's just If you're in a world where there's a lot of magic already it doesn't guarantee that you'll know whether it's an illusion or some other type of magic it's like is it just like a shitty illusion they forgot to put like a visual aspect to it or is it actually there and somebody made it invisible because those are two very different situations and they both involve magic
3: yeah. that's a very interesting way of looking at it. I like the idea of the senses and like combining them to make a stronger illusion. I think that um, I don't know that gets me thinking a lot about how it could be used in games. Um, and I mm. think what I like generally about things like that is that you can have in combat and out of combat uses for things. Um, like it's mm-hmm. it really opens up the player's creativity. I think to how they want to use illusion magic or yeah. whatever oh,
2: illusion magic is one of the hardest to balance and it's I would actually say for any designer don't include illusions in your game unless you're willing for players to break your game <laughs> because it's like the indirect spells and effects and abilities it's not things that do damage that are broken something does too much damage, oh well, it's not a huge deal. If something does an effect that basically reads, it does whatever the hell you want it to do. That's where all your problems are going to come from. So illusion magic, it's like, okay, it might not actually do any damage. But if you allow illusion magic to work in your game, it's going to turn into an episode of Looney Tunes. Just deal with that fact as soon as you include it. Fair. And if you're going to include that, you may as well just go with it. Just just run with it. I, I totally included a way so that you can actually make your illusions solid so that they're actually real temporarily. Actually, there's more than one way to do it. And it Literally means that you can do like the Looney Tunes things, like totally just draw on on a wall like a door and walk through it and then erase the door behind you.
4: That's amazing. Playing a Looney Tunes game itself would be fun.
2: (laughs) It's a terrible idea, but I think it's going to be very entertaining and we're going to find out shortly because. In my main playtest group, one of the players is working heavily with Illusion, and they want to try that ability. And they're probably going to get it within the next session or two. And we mm-hmm. will see how horribly broken this is going to
3: be. It's exciting. <laughs> well, that, good luck. That was
0: was a bit of a trail. Does anybody have a question for the an answer to the initial question? Oh, yeah, sure. yeah sure. I
1: was gonna. I was just gonna go down the. Uh, that, no, that was that was uh, super cool. I was gonna uh, go down the list though, because uh, Mark and Monty are not getting off the fucking hook. Oh, okay. uh, so
2: <laughs> uh-uh. uh,
1: yeah, uh, Mark, you're beautiful. next.
3: Yep. For for me, um, I guess there were a lot of games that came before I started designing, where I was like, "Oh fuck, this is so good." Um, after I started designing my own game, uh, the one that I ran into that blew my mind was. Um, Fate of the Norns, um, because it changed. Like I guess a lot of my experiences were based in D and D and D and D adjacent games, so a lot of the structure was pretty similar. Um, And I found that with Fate of the Norns, what I liked is that um, the randomness of the actions that players took in the game came before they initiated those actions. Um, So the the mechanic is particular in like that. I'm thinking of is uh, when you create your character, you have a bunch of runes that all exist in a bag. uh you shuffle up these runes and then before you take action, you draw a bunch of them uh so you get to use these runes to power your moves um <laughs> and you can like save some back to um for defensive purposes. What's up cut
2: All I can think of is a game of magical scrabble <laughs> <laughs> you just. Pull- pull out the runes and you just like align them up on the board and it's like yeah that's 57 points i win you die
3: yeah i guess so (laughs) so uh, taking that uh it basically what you're doing is you're setting up what kind of words you want to play before you play them uh as opposed to being like i want to play this word and then rolling dice and hoping that you draw the right runes to play it uh so what i thought. What I liked about it was that it moved the randomness to before the player's um, uh, decision-making process as opposed to after, which is what those kinds of D&D games have done. So you knew what move you were going to take. It just happened uh, after the random step, which I really enjoyed. And I thought that that uh, opened up a lot of the thinking for me in terms of how to design games and why certain mechanics exist. Because I had never really questioned it before, it was very much like, "Oh, you you say what you want to do, say you want to attack, and then you roll dice to see if it happens." And this was uh, a paradigm shift for me um, of how games can be played mechanically to to get that kind of player thinking engine working.
1: Um. So, uh, uh, as a formal construct, um, that is uh, called fortune at the beginning right yeah. yeah so uh it's a really interesting that's a good one that's a good one for paradigm shifting right because there are still to this day very 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 few functional fortune at the beginning uh designs mm-hmm. uh when i was most recently the last sort of um steady for various values of the word steady job that i had in rpgs uh was at uh, when the 7c second edition oh nice uh, came out yep. right yeah so that that is actually a fully functional fortune at the beginning system yep. you roll to generate the currency that you use to take action right so right. Um, it's got that same kinda and that allows you to base the whole resolution of scenes off of opportunity cost rather than about success failure exactly. because the, the logic of the the, the game the the paradigmatic sort of assumptions of the game is that you're a swashbuckling hero failure is like random failure is not a part of your character's life because you're a you're a protagonist right that doesn't yeah. that's not going to happen to you right but what can happen is you don't generate enough currency to get everything you want in a particular unit of action or um, it it costs you, right? You can't you can't pay enough to avoid um, consequences uh, for for that action. Yeah, it's a good one because there's the, It is still to this day not implemented very frequently yeah. because it's a, it can be a interface wise, it can be a really hard sell. Exactly. So yeah. so uh, that's a good. I, I like that. One. That's a good one.
2: There's actually something that that reminded me of, and the main problem with doing that is is one of it's actually kind of reversed from what you think is that it actually gives you an issue where you have to think of what to do in a much more quick manner because like for example if you the way you were describing it Mark mm-hmm. like it sounds like you you start your turn. You're given like um, the runes from your bag, and then you have to decide what to do with them. And it's like, okay, this is kind of a complicated situation because now you need to actually think about what to do, right? And you have to figure out what you can do with what you have. And now everybody's gonna have to wait on you while you try to figure out so what i was thinking is magi nation like trading card game it was it did a lot of things better than i found magic the gathering did okay. and one of the things that they did would have actually solved that problem which is you know, Magic the Gathering, in almost every card game, you draw your cards at the start of your turn. Imagination, the last thing you did at the end of your turn was draw your cards. So during the entire other person's turn, you had time to think about what to do with your cards. Exactly. Because your cards were a lot more complicated. There was a lot more things you could do with them. It wasn't just, well, there's only one situation, like one correct play here. Yeah. It was like, because it was more complicated, you had to think about it more. They gave you an entire turn to think on it. Right. So with this rune casting thing that you were saying, it would make sense that after you finish your previous action, like you, you cast your spell or whatever, then you reach and grab a new handful of runes. And while other people are taking their turn, you have to think about how to do yours. Yeah. And i tried to work that into my own system as well so that there's less time spent at the moment trying to think what to do right this moment and if it's something that's going to make you have a decision that you have to make either try to streamline it as much as possible narrow it down to a very small number of choices or if it's going to be a complex action, get them working on it while other people are doing their turn so that they're not doing it while everybody's waiting on them kind of thing.
1: Exactly. And I think... Great. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Sorry.
3: Oh, I was just going to say um, the, the second part to your question is like sort of how it your, the realization of how the game work changed your design. And I think that's exactly what it did for me, Kat, was that, um, I ended up taking this idea and bringing it to the game I was working on, like Praxis. And um, the solution, or like, I-, I saw the same problem of people just had a bunch of cards suddenly, then they have to think about which is the best to use. Uh, can I do this action? Can I do that action? And it drags the game out. But if people had those cards in hand from the beginning, um, then they got to kind of anticipate. They said, okay, well, these are the kinds of actions that I can take. And then when a situation came up, then they'd have that set of possible actions in the back of their mind, and they can say, "Well, I've got the the like whatever, I can use the my crowbar as the action to like pry open this door." Um, so I knew I had the crowbar, and I was just waiting for the opportunity to use it. Um, and I think that's the the kind of style of game that I find really interesting because it's still relevant to the character. You're bringing something, but you know what you're bringing. As you play the action, it's just whether or not you have the crowbar in a particular scene, you don't know. Um, so so yeah.
1: the way that the way that seven uh, c gets around it is that the currency is generic, right? Not just the currency to take action, but the currency that actions cost, right? So hmm. it's not like you get a specific like if you roll, it doesn't matter what combination of dice you roll. like if you roll dexterity plus fight or appearance plus charm you get a currency called raises that you spend to take action, right? So um, after you generate the currency, it just goes back to that same kind of conversational back and forth of like, okay, it's your turn. What do you do? Well, I'm going to attack the cardinal's guard. And then you look at how many raises you have, and I'm like, ah, I think he's probably a minor thug. I'm going to spend two raises to attack the guard. And then the GM is like, well, fuck, I don't want to spend any of my raises to block that, so fuck that guard. He's dead. Right. Uh, and you and you basically go back and forth that way. So kind of the interesting thing about it is because the currency that you generate is not themed to a particular action, it doesn't create that cognitive block mm. of like of like OMG, oh, what how do I how do I use these things in front of me? Right. It's just a number of action coins at that point in time that you have to to spend on stuff and then and then it's just about opportunity cost oh crap i got attacked by two people well he's a better swordsman so i'm gonna parry three that way and i'm just gonna take this hit for two points of damage uh and then you know you just kind of kind of do it that way back and forth and it has that same rhythm as i'm gonna do this and you roll it just becomes i'm gonna do this and you spend a number of the 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 currency you generate
3: and then does the the action that you take to roll dice does that sorry cuz i haven't played 7c um, yeah. does that limit sort of
1: what it how, is like, it's, it's yeah. roughly it's roughly themed so that's the only kind of decision is the only anticipation you got to do is sort of like any broad umbrella of shit what am i going to do right okay so if you're if you're at the ball like charming people at the at the you know duke's ball or whatever and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna roll panache plus uh, whatever the hell the speechcraft skill was. I don't fucking remember anymore. Yeah. That was years ago. Um, uh, and you're like, oh, I have six raises. And then something happens in the scene where it twists the action, and all of a sudden, like the cardinal's guards pop in. You can still use those same raises to stab the guard, uh, but there's like an out of theme penalty is the only thing you pay. So, like it costs you one extra raise to do something that is not in the umbrella of the shit you rolled. right. But you can still take action, right? Uh, so <laughs> that's how they sort of do that's how they sort of differentiate and how they make it meaningful what you use to generate the currency. That's really cool. I do like that. yeah you
2: know there's there's an interesting dichotomy between these kinds of things where you do it before or after. And it can be done either way. Though some are kind of odd when you start thinking about it. So the one that was coming to mind was like the difference between Shadow Run and And I'm blanking on the name. I know we talk about it almost every week, the one where everybody bug. plays a rogue.
4: Oh Blades in the uh, Dark.
2: W- Blades in the Dark, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, thanks to both of you. <laughs> yes.
1: Blades Blade, Blade in the Dark. Evil Hats New Obsession for... after they got <laughs> tired of me. <things>. For <laughs> some odd
2: reason, I can never remember Blades in the Dark. The name of it for some reason. I don't know why. I always blank on it. Anyway, so the concept is like Shadowrun, you basically plot out like all of the items you have in advance so you know what items you have with you when you do something. In Blade to the Dark, it's basically the reverse. It's like you bring like X amount of resources or items and it's like, okay, we ran into a, a situation where there's a problem. Now we'll just do like a little flashback and say, okay, we saw this coming. So we brought this item with us and that removes one of the items that we have in total to work with and it's kind of interesting that it can work in both of those ways but Mm. i mean it's not really the randomness that's taking place there but there's that open-ended kind of issue with like the blades in the dark issue where it's like okay You're on the spotlight now. You know there's a problem. How did you actually solve this? And it's like, okay, you actually have to stop to think about that. And that can actually slow the game down, potentially, because you have to think about it in that moment. Whereas in Shadowrun, it's more you did a lot of casing the place in advance, figuring out what you're going to need. And that's what you determined to bring with you in the first place you probably already had the items with you and were already developing the plan as soon as you saw the problem that you were facing. Mm-hmm.
1: So But that's but, but that's like a but that's like a, a a thing that speaks to like the design goals, right? Like Shadowrun <clears throat> um, is fully in the in the mode of D&D of like it's you versus the job, right? And mm-hmm. like part yes. of the part of the 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 idea behind that design is to encourage the development over time of player mastery of like you're able to anticipate the things you might or might not need right blades in the dark is all about emulating the structure of heist fiction right mm-hmm. where if you're watching a heist movie in progress that's exactly that moment that you're talking about where you run into the obstacle is exactly when you see the flashback to the moment where they go back and show you how they planned for it, right? right. So that's so kin—it's a kinesthetic match, right? It's like you spend the currency there, and you're right; it is going to slow down play, but I think in a meaningful way because, like, like you buy into the idea that you take that moment to slow down and go, ah, oh, let's think about the cool way in which we did this, and then you talk for you know a couple of minutes, and then you move on, right?
2: You know your description of that being like the movie. It makes me wonder: has any game that's tried to do sort of a whodunit or a murder mystery or whatever kind of thing taken that into account, where it's like they do all this, but then at the end of the game, that's when it goes through and reveals how everything happened.
1: It's. I think it's harder to do in in investigative. Games because one of the things in in RPG land, right, that you get stuck with is there has to be a solution, mm-hmm. mm. right? So, like in the Heist movie, whatever the player comes up with, they're like, well, "I have this fucking weird ass gadget that happens to be ideally suited to the purpose of overcoming obstacles." Sure, you're awesome, Dragons. but like, but like, uh you know, in a like, if you're doing a Call of Cthulhu scenario you can't improv pieces of that you know what I'm saying like you have to you have to uh there is a solution like the GM's looking at it
4: that, So that actually I disagree with only because I've played with a GM who has improv stuff before because the player is always going to ask weird ass fucking questions sure sure um, <laughs> like, like the one example was that like was that we get to the end of the Call of Cthulhu game and we get to this church and inside is the is you know the old one you know doing his doing his evil stuff and we're right. like hey we all learned how to make elder signs what if we surround all the doors with elder signs and all the windows and just carve them into the wall can right. like the elder sign is supposed to prevent things from passing through or, or from entering stuff right will prevent them from leaving and he's like shit I don't know and the gm basically sat for a second and he's like you don't know and and so we all did it and the gm had to think like what that would actually do to the game itself like like that was not a that was not a solution to the problem but that was a solution that we came up with and and he actually rolled a die and was like hey um like he rolled a die silently to to see whether which one was true or not and we found out later um to spectacular results, which one was actually true?
3: Right, and I, I really <laughs> oh no. like the concept. Like I, I've tried toying with it for myself, but again, it's I think pretty challenging to do. But I don't think there needs to be an absolute truth until the end of the game. Like I think that you can play a game where the players' decisions lead you to um, like kind of a set of answers, and then. Um, you won't find out until the end of the game whether or not it's entirely true or entirely false sort of thing. Like, you could, I think, design a mystery with no solution until the course of the game is complete. Um,
2: I think it helps, though, to have at least one solution in mind, but be open to alternative options because you don't want to get to the point where it's like okay i was planning for this to have a solution i figured you know by this point in the game i'd have figured one out but after everything you've done i realize i absolutely have no idea whatsoever how to end this because i've run into that situation before and it's like that's that's not a that's not a good ending.
1: Oh, I, I want to make sure that we don't conflate the the whole like I'm gonna do X thing to solve Y problem, which is almost to some degree, kind of doesn't matter what the hell uh, premise or genre of RPG you're in, always mm-hmm. somewhat improvisational because you don't know what the hell the players are gonna say. Right. But mm-hmm. with, uh, but to contrast that against, um, that in a mystery sort of scenario the facts of the scenario are a thing that must be set what you do with the information once you get it is subject to the to the process of the normal processes of back and forth and improvisation negotiation and stuff like that right but like mm-hmm. but like crucially it has to be the case if a gm is taking you through a mystery scenario that there is a through line of stuff that is true and did happen
3: but does that and, need to be does that need to be prescripted
1: um if the gm's very good no i mean i've done improvisational um investigative scenarios because i haven't prepared a, for a game session in 25 years <laughs> but like but like uh but they have to be very accustomed to it and They have to be very, like, the problem with the mystery scenario in particular is it's very easy when you're improvising to contradict yourself.
0: Yeah, you have to, like, I I I end up doing a lot of things where things are soft mysteries. And, like, so I have to, like, make sure I don't contradict myself. I have no clue how they're going to try to gather information. And I really like playing in that space. But But I think,
1: but, sorry, sorry, Kavor, go ahead.
0: That means that I had to develop that skill to an extreme extent because I had to make sure that everything, like, the answer, the the answer makes sense is the thing. And there have been times when I ha- I thought I, I was pretty sure this is what the answer was going to be, but uh, something interesting happened and I had to hard lateral out of that being the answer, mm-hmm. answer. They would have come across none of the evidence that would have pointed them in the correct direction. <laughs> So I had to make sure like what they actually investigated was relevant, which is a really weird thing that would never happen in a mystery novel, but is something that definitely happens. Yeah. That's a Sorry. I
1: think I think that the moment that Kat if I understand what Kat was saying correctly, I think the moment that Kat was talking about was the drawing room scene. That's oh, yeah, a class, the classic the classic in the Agatha Christie, yeah. right, where the, the the investigator pieces together all the evidence. Right. And comes up with a solution and says the butler did it or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And uh, and this is how it more happened.
2: Columbo. The
1: right, Columbo. World. Just one more. Just
2: one more thing. Just one more,
1: more question. One more <laughs> yeah. Question. Um, yeah. Uh, but I don't think that uh, that a lot of the reason why I was saying I don't think a lot of RPGs have played in the space of of improvising that scene is because it tends to be the case in a mystery RPG, investigative RPG thing, that part of what makes it go is that the GM, on some level, knows what happened. Hmm. Because Hmm. they have to tell you that when you encounter it, because that's part of their fucking job.
0: Yeah. I have have contradicted that exactly once, but I have never found a game that contradicts that. Uh, One time, because I was very confident in the player, I just asked them what they th- thought happened, and their answer was better than mine. So, that was cool.
1: <laughs> oh, I can oh hold on though. I've done that a bunch. Like, <laughs> that's, like, that's,
0: that yeah, is one of, see, down. you're giving
1: away, Kevlar. you're giving away the black magic, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. But, <laughs> but, uh, one of, the, one of the magic about improvisational GMing is when the chatter at the table Results in a player coming up with a really genius solution to a thing that is now fucking true. And then later on, you get to say, <laughs> Oh, look how smart you are. You were right.
4: right. Yeah. I, I mean, they are just not in the way that they thought. I think we've all been a part of that in some fashion or another, either on the player side or on the GM side, where we're just like, Oh, their idea was much better than mine. Let's go with that. Yeah.
2: Right. I, I do want to get to one thing that I. I think I disagree with when you said that, like, when you got into, it shouldn't contradict itself, you, like, you're worried about setting things up where this is true, and then, oh, I contradicted myself. It's like, that's not inherently a bad thing, especially if the players start questioning it, and it's like, wait, 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 wait. this, this person said we had to go east, like, two sessions ago, and then this other person just told us we had to go west. Those can't both be true, can they? And it's like, hmm, yeah, that's very interesting. Is one of them lying to you? Do they have incorrect information? Or maybe it has moved?
1: Yeah, I have have faked my way out of... (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, they do that. Too. I mean, that's the another part of the that's another part of the black magic. Whenever they catch you in a contradiction, if you're improvising and they catch you in a contradiction, you just deadpan it and go, huh, that's interesting," <sighs> and just wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but I uh, think that's
2: important for games to actually mention that as well. That it's not just something that oh, this is just something that should be talk to gms it's like this should probably actually be part of the game itself to actually emphasize that this is something that happens <laughs> um
1: not uh, the only time that i've ever seen it really um formalized in a design way right in a published thing um uh in the investigative genre so you're familiar all familiar with uh the um, sci-fi uh, gumshoe system game Ashen Stars.
0: I know gumshoe? Uh, that, is know, not
1: not a, that is not a gumshoe game I
0: have played. I have played exactly one, and it was not that one, unfortunately. Huh.
1: Um, yeah. So, so it's a, it is a sci-fi investigative game, and uh, somebody wrote a module for it called Terra Nova, in which it was set up with clue chains and paths so that any of the NPCs in the module could be the culprit. And uh, basically, what the advice was given in that module wa- was basically that you you play the NPCs to the hilt, right? And you gauge the character's reactions to them. And you use that to determine, OK, who do they suspect first? Well, they're the red herring, right. and then they have a clue chain that makes them the red herring, right? Yeah. and then And then you divert to whoever it is. And you can basically just kind of kind of make uh, anybody. So it, it is a published adventure, mystery adventure, that maximally handles improvisation at the table. Amazing. Be- because there's a path for any of the people in it to have been the culprit. That module, Terra Nova for Ashen Stars, happened to have been written and designed by me. So uh, it's the only time I've ever seen it done. It's because I did it.
3: That's awesome. Good job. So I'll have to have a look at that because I've been. I think that's exactly the kind of structure that I've been trying to envision. Was like, do you need to have that right answer at the beginning, or can you divert and like if the players are like, I want to go investigate the morgue, and you're like, I haven't mentioned anything about a dead body. Why are you going to the morgue? But you can kind of steer the clues in a direction that makes sense for what like the the possibilities of the game can be um and in in that case like i don't know my description might have been too uh like out of place but just to be able to say like you can steer the game based on the the choices or the interactions the players are taking towards the people that are most likely to be the the suspects like okay if the players are doing this action i didn't suspect like or they're they're too interested in this one person in the doctor um then let's like divert the the kinds of clues in a different direction um and i think that that's a really cool idea so but uh we've we've deviated a bit off topic um so uh we
1: monty, monty is next for the main question what was your what was your uh design awakening what was your uh so moment?
4: here's the thing um specifically, I am probably the only person in this entire group who's not a designer and is not actively designing a game um i'm i'm have, more... you,
1: have you ever house ruled an r p g that you've ran
4: oh yeah all the time
1: you're a, and you're a designer
4: i know like, what i mean like, is i'm not cut, i'm not cut, sitting here cut, building out a system like um sure uh so what I've gone through is i've thought like what are the what's kind of inspired me and because video games um actually i thought of like three things. And uh, the first thing was basically, and, and you're all either going to hate or love this answer. Uh, it is Hero Quest. The fact that this could even be done.
1: Oh, the board game, the yeah. original board game Hero Quest. Yep.
4: The fact I that fucking
1: this, love that game.
4: Yeah. The fact that this just whole thing could be done in the first place was kind of an awakening. Um, oh
1: man, yes.
4: The another one was um, another one was EverQuest. We're just going to use the word quest in the theme of things. The fact that multiple people um, across the world, like hundreds of people across the world, could be doing something together um, kind of mm. floored me at the time. Like, like I didn't know what EverQuest was the first time I bought it. Someone bought it for me. I was like, oh, it requires a subscription. That's weird. Well, it's it, I got a free month. So I loaded it up, and I didn't realize it was like a multiplayer game. Like, I don't know what I thought it was. And I didn't play it too incredibly long, but just the idea kind of blew my mind. Um, on top of it, like, the, the first time... And then we'll go into, like, the first time someone house-ruled a game. Um, not to, you know, be all up in Rob's nuts here, but uh, he house-ruled a version of d 4.0 with 4 combined with uh, the stats from Fate. And that... That just munging together of two very disparate game systems was uh, was kind of also an awakening. Like, oh, like you can you can get something more out of a system if you don't like what its current rules are stating. It wasn't the first time a, a game system had been house ruled or a, a thing had been house ruled, but it was definitely the like an order of magnitude higher. Yeah.
2: It's like, yeah, you know, this entire section, yeah, just throw that out. We're gonna completely redo like half the game, yeah, it's exactly. Like, is, is this even the same game? Can you do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, like, um oh, no.
1: so <laughs> I was, I was, I was legit, I was legit thinking about trolling you a little bit and just being like, he he mashed together d 4 and Fate. Why the fuck would anyone do that? <laughs> uh, but I, no, actually, I think it's awesome. Yeah. you know, obviously, I you know anytime anybody does anything creative with fate, I think it's awesome. So,
4: yeah, I mean, fate's a decent system, and uh, we we as a group all liked how its rules played out. We all liked how um we all liked basically how skill checks work, like accomplishing something worked. We didn't necessarily like we didn't like um, it's not that we didn't like fate for doing like a, f- a fantasy game, but it just didn't seem to lend itself as well to the idea. Um, it, it's there. You can do it, but um, I think I don't know what Rob's ultimate reasoning was. I th- I think he just wanted he to play fourth the, edition, but hated the hated yeah, the skill checks.
0: Of that system that and I do, which is that it is the worst part of Fate. But that's <laughs> uh, oh dear. Anyway, <laughs> I probably should feel like that's something I probably should but, yeah, well, been. and there's
1: well, and there's like something about there's still something about that action that D D has done for for through multiple iterations, right? Of like of like, you know, going against the dungeon and like having that having that um that challenge be composed of, how do I put this discrete objects, right? Mm-hmm. Um like fade is very much like, let's talk about the coolest moment ever and then just hit that that dopamine shit all the time <laughs> um and i can say that i'm a fake cuz i made it but um uh you know but there is that there is a real solid gravitic hook in like yeah there is a a thing and it is laid out before us it is a it is a discrete object uh, and like we're going to try and knock it over mm-hmm. um, that i i I mean I think there's a real appeal in that, right, like I don't knock it at all, right mm-hmm
4: I think, but like I mean I'm gonna go with the cheesy you know trite answer of there wasn't one big moment, there's just throughout my life tons of little tiny moments, you mm-hmm. know, right you know that is that is my answer it's all the little moments that bring us all together <laughs> um. But it's no, true, I, I mean, yeah. it it is true, though. I, uh, yes, I said. I think, I think there's, yeah. <laughs> I, I think there are a lot of
3: little things that, like, you, you'll see a design and then go, oh, that's amazing. Like, I wish I would have thought of that. Or it doesn't need to be anything that's, like, paradigm shifting. But th- all these cool games that are coming out, especially in the indie scene, I think, are trying to do something different. Um, so you can definitely latch on to those little mm-hmm. items of, oh, that's really cool and interesting. I wish I would have thought of that. Um, And it works for their game, and it might not work for the kinds of games that you're designing. But there there are definitely a lot of those little moments of like, oh, that's interesting. I never considered doing it this way. So it's fun to see right now.
2: It applies to everything. It's not just games, either. Like, games definitely, like, if you're working on a game, other games, obviously, you're going to look at other games and get some inspiration from them you're also going to get it from other sources too like even just from a novel or a tv show or you know any other form of media you consume video games whatever like you can transfer stuff all over the place so even if it's like something that wasn't intended for such i think probably the very first time that I came up with something that I took from another game it was or at least for the current project it actually wasn't the one that I mentioned because that was from another tabletop role playing game i think the first one i actually took would have actually been um from final fantasy 14 how they did their their job their job classes because I really like the idea of this is basically what Prestige should have been in, like, D&D 3.5 or, like, um, Pathfinder. And it just seemed like such a better method of doing it. And then after I'd already come up with the idea, they really... D&D 5th edition, and their specializations are basically that. Not to that extent, but it's a very similar concept. And it makes me wonder if they didn't steal it from Final Fantasy fourteen.
1: Well, so that's the interesting thing about, about parallel... Like I was saying, like I said in the preface to this question, right? Like, the parallel development... It, like, it's so interesting because there are so many of us sort of thinking about how to tackle the same kinds of problems. Like it is it is inevitable that a lot of people's solutions are gonna have superficial or even deep um uh, similarities, resemblances to to um other people's solutions, you know? And like and sometimes sometimes, especially because all of us also play games, sometimes you don't even know how the how the shit gets in inside you, right? Like mm-hmm. like you don't you may not know actually what your influences are uh as an as an rpg designer uh until after you've made your game and then you go back and play something you played before and go oh fuck that's that's where that shit must have come from because like
4: mm-hmm. well i mean that's like, that's yeah. the weird thing about the spark of inspiration in, in general it's like it's like you can see a game mm-hmm. and you can deck like, I want to try to emulate that but like you try to put it into your system or you try to put it into your video game or whatever you're designing for and you realize it doesn't work but actually if it's changed a little bit and combine it with something else and then you know maybe some a little bit of this it's you know it's a big melting pot of inspiration it's right it's usually not just one thing like like even if you take something wholesale from someone else's uh like idea which you know when designing stuff, it's not inherently bad. Uh, you you usually don't just graft it right onto your system and call it a day. You you make subtle changes, and you know other things are influencing those changes, not just not just the, the core thing that you're going for. Yeah, true. Right. Hopefully,
2: because if you don't, we... it's not gonna work.
1: Do we need to Jonathan do we need to give you some floor uh here cuz you're now among us?
5: Um sure. No you don't have to do anything but
1: you <laughs> like uh, we uh, I'll can interact, just yes.
2: shove him into the limelight whether he you, wants it or not.
1: Do you Do you uh know the question? Um
5: what uh, was our, our design spark or what was this? Well so
1: the the question I originally asked right is so what was your first moment as a as an RPG designer, or as a you know a GM that house rules systems, you know or whatever, even if it's not like formal capital D design or whatever. What was sort what of like your first? One
0: person in our group who has a successful Kickstarter.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, um...
0: Real game what was your? Was.
1: So, what was your first moment in game design where you looked at something, an element, whether it's a presentation or of mechanics design or of, of whatever it is? in another RPG when you had your first moment of like, fuck me. Why didn't I think of that? This changes everything. And um, how did it impact what you did from there, there on there forward?
5: So I'll just quickly go. Cause I have a, I feel like I have an odd background in game design because I don't play like half the games, like hour wise, that a lot of people play. Um, so way back in the day, back in high school, I I played uh, 2E, and um, I just played. I wasn't DMing, well, rarely. And I would say, like, the only thing that we as a group sort of, like, house ruled was, like, uh, this shit is too complicated. Like, let's just leave it out. Like, 2E has, like, these weapon speeds where you got to, like, add different numbers for the different oh, weapons and we're just lord like lord
1: almighty i remember that shit yeah
5: and so we're like well, that's dumb like we're not going to do that plus it it totally takes away from like choosing the weapon that you actually want so all this bullshit so that, like we just left things out and also we were quite young so we didn't know in a lot of ways what we were doing like this was something where we started playing and then when we were you know older teenagers were like hey did you guys know we've been playing this game wrong
1: <laughs> my, my my friend my friend if you and your group, as young young folks, sat and looked at the weapon speeds on the chart and said, uh, "I don't, I don't, I don't like this. We're not going to use this thing." I promise you that you knew exactly what you were doing.
5: Right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I. The weird thing was is so like I don't know. Now it's four years ago or so. Um, I really wanted to get back into playing, and so. Um, none of my friends were close and so I started investigating like how to play um, online and that just got me right back into role-playing games in general and then I sort of learned that there was like this huge huge world in the sense of like quantity of like different types of games Um, and then I kind of saw that people were just you know, relatively independently just making stuff. Um, And uh, so actually getting into game design was like something where I just wanted to be creative as opposed to being like, I want to do this game but different. Um, So that's sort of like my, just sort of like the rabbit hole of, online role-playing games uh got me into design and then the thing that sort of like sparks my design interest is like hey like but what about this thing like that should be a game um and uh and then once i'm at that point if i have like an uh sort of like some steps in my mind of how that might play then i sort of go searching for inspiration Um, like, from other games, rules and and inspirations and stuff like that. If that makes sense.
1: So there's not, so you don't have, like, one, you don't have, like, one moment where you saw something in another RPG and you're like, oh, I need, I need that mojo. So,
5: and and like I say, like, my moments are, like, more like, this is a, you know, a real life thing or, like, a real life, other, media thing and i'm like that should be an rpg and that's my moment i see
1: i see i see so you're 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 taking something from outside the medium and trying to bring it into the yeah. sort of the langu- language language yeah. of rpg design okay cool cool yeah well what was well talk to me about that that's that's interesting so what is like a thing that you that you brought from outside the hobby into the hobby or that you aspire to bring from outside the hobby into the hobby
5: so um i think like my first foray was like of in into design was like hey i'm going to do this game about revenge and that was not inspired by anything specific except that i couldn't seem to find it i really struggled with um a lot of things with that but one of the things was the size uh, of like a full role-playing game like the you know this is like a whole system and it's a lot of work um and then, so I was like, "Kate, hey, like, you, that's...
1: You damn right it is. Yeah, right. yeah so I'm just going right. to go, like,
5: you know, just put that on the shelf and, like, you know, try to design something. And then I I was sort of, like, just taking inspiration from other media. So the thing that... The game that I did publish, Cut to the Chase, was, like, inspired by um, a game called... Or, sorry, a TV show called, I think, Manhunter or something like that. Yep. And there's a guy... <laughs> On a horse, who uh, with he has like a sidekick tracker, who like hunt down um, these two usually like city folk, and they're like put in some like nature scenario where it's like, Kate, hey, you know your tracker is like half an hour behind you, and you have to get to this point, and if you get to this point, you you know win a hundred bucks or some stupid thing like that. Um, so that was sort of my first inspiration. Wasn't
1: was the Manhunter in like the mid-1970s?
5: No, like uh the two thousands. Um
1: I okay, think. I'm thinking of the wrong I'm thinking of the wrong thing.
5: Like this is like a TV show. Hmm. Man not like Man Tracker. Man Tracker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Um
1: Man Tracker.
5: Yeah. And uh that it it was sort of like uh interesting um because some of the uh, places that they were in were familiar to me, um, because uh, they were filmed in some places that I either have family or had been before. Uh, so, it, it, like, not that that means.
1: Can I can I can I take a guess and and say this is a Canadian television show? Yeah, yeah.
5: Okay. <laughs> yeah, and. Um,
2: you can tell it's a Canadian show because the microphone hits the actors in the head.
5: <laughs> it's actually not poorly done; um, it's as good we as just, any other thing out there. But yeah, it's I, maybe I, I less was, known. I was
1: just—I guess—I guess that from from Jonathan's mellifluous Canadian voice.
0: <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Maybe, uh, the odd thing about this podcast is it's majority Canadian. Yes, surprisingly, almost. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, Trace, myself, Mark, and Jonathan are all Canadian. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So,
1: so if I, so if I have a heart attack on the air, does that mean you'll cover the hospital? Is <laughs> <laughs> that how?
2: I think that's how. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Four Canadians are gonna s- swoop in and and make sure you're okay.
1: <laughs> I'm banned. I I gotta be on the show more often. <laughs> Given, given my, uh, questionable lifestyle choices. All right. Sorry, Jonathan.
5: <laughs> the funny thing about Canadian healthcare is actually like, if you were here and that happened, you know, you would be saved, but you should just leave and never come back because they will bill you if you don't have like Canadian healthcare. Uh, and the bill will be as outrageous as you might expect from being in a, a U.S. Uh, hospital, um anyway
1: i mean at least i'll be saved I mean, yeah that's a that's a still that's still an improvement over the american system where, <laughs> like like because in the american system they pre-screen you for that and like sometimes just leave you in the goddamn lobby
5: <laughs> that's what i'm saying
1: anyway <laughs> uh,
2: quite as expensive as in the states but it'll still be pretty bad
5: it may not be uh, but i have a like friend who's had personal experience with a mother-in-law and basically and wound up with like a hundred thousand dollar uh hospital bill for <laughs> yeah for like yeah. yeah and it wasn't for nothing but it wasn't uh it wasn't for a lot you you might not oh. think it was a lot
1: oh capitalism
5: yeah, yeah. so um kind of lost my train of thought but like that was that was my sort of inspiration man,
1: man tracker Man yeah tracker's
5: yeah, yeah. Were. and there was lots of like sort of like variations so it was supposed to be like uh tried to like copy the functionality of the show quite closely so it was like for more people with a gm of some sort and then you know it, that didn't really work very well um and then it Kind of through talking to some other people and and uh, even before like um, a lot of design was done, it turned into a two-player game. Um, and so you just it's it's just sort of like a create your own chase adventure uh, is what it worked out to. But the original inspiration was the man tracker, which you almost definitely could play out in the game. Um, it functions like that. Um,
1: So I see. I see what I see. What you're saying, like when you're saying it became a two-player game, because two-player game, like you sort of already, sort of, sort of, um, uh, you should have led with that. Uh, (laughs) But because you know, obviously, I mean, now we're getting it, but it's a fairly, in terms of like the commercial design of role-playing games, right? It's a fairly recent phenomenon, even in 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 indie circles, right? Doing the one-on-one thing is uh is kind of new there's now um uh, uh a gumshoe system variant right the the cthulhu one-on-one or gumshoe one-on-one or mm-hmm. um uh that's that's doing it but it's not um too common and there's like a whole podcast about that that is like just about two-player yeah rpg experiences because it's so niche so what i'm getting from what you're saying is that you because you did not have a huge history in in the medium felt no reluctance about making it into a two-player game because you're like well fuck this is what my design means this is what i'm gonna do is that yeah, is that I an accurate rendering of your
5: it's close like i said it was i was working off of what i did know and so i was considering a gm but yeah like it was it it was just more of like making the idea work as opposed to like so you're, you're right. It was just like, yeah, I don't have very many blocks when it comes to that. I don't try to be something, at least I hope anyway. <laughs> uh, but I also, this, I've only really seriously done the one thing and I have other serious ideas, but life is just like so packed right now. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, but cut to the chase. If you're talking about, uh, um, oh geez, now I can't even think of the name of the podcast, but um Ah, uh, party, party of one. I think yeah, were... cut the chase has been yeah, on that... there twice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. There it is. Yeah. 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 Uh, cool. Cool.
5: Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh,
1: cut to the ch- cut to the chase. Is that the game?
5: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're the cut to the chase guy. That's cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's what you actually know. I mean. Like... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Nice. <laughs> Look. Pay attention. I I read RPGs and stuff. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like I. Like I used to, I'm not just like sitting back here, like, oh, I designed fate. Fuck the rest of you. Like, <laughs> like I, like I read stuff. Like, yeah, I on.
0: just, I just consider the Chase like fairly obscure in the world of skate. Yeah,
1: it's shown up in my Twitter mentions a couple times. Like, oh, yeah, I've that's, seen that's... it in my every time it, it kind of floats past my Twitter nice everything that does i just click a link on it and go look at what the fuck it is yeah
5: that's cool i mean you know i know that it's it's sort of past like and people new people getting into it but that's not exactly true i mean it's good to hear that you know every once in a while someone new will get their eyes on it but it was in Here. um uh there was a two-player anthology uh you and i yeah, wrote yeah, playing yeah, games yeah. for two which it mm-hmm it's actually sold within that package. It's sold many more copies, like probably twice as many copies as I did through the Kickstarter and anything after that. So it's kind of interesting. So if you, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of overlap, but if you combine the two, it's probably like pushing like 800 to 900 copies are, are out there. So that's, it's kind of cool. Shit, man.
2: That's
5: not bad, dude. That's
2: cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, uh... mind as well? just, to interrupt for a brief moment? Yeah, sure. If you have sold even half as many as the anthology, it means that the anthology with all of the games combined, you would have made the equivalent of half of those sales would have been from you. Almost. Almost. Oh, I get what Which you're saying. Which is kind of weird when you start thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, the one.
5: anthology is pretty big, but I get what you're saying.
2: Um, it's like, yeah. well, the anthology has a lot of games in it, but they only sold twice as many as one of those games.
1: Right, right. And so think
2: of that in a positive <laughs> way.
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love the moment when, like, after in the in the post-vaccine world. Uh, Where uh, you go to a convention and find like your one true fan of that.
5: that (laughs) I love the movie too.
1: What I have discovered, well, maybe. (laughs) What I've discovered, what I've discovered in my long journey, is that no matter how obscure the thing, because RPGs are such a niche hobby, no matter how obscure the thing is if you go to enough conventions especially like the you know origins of gen con the biggins right mm-hmm. and you just chatter with enough people you're gonna find the one person's gonna be like oh man you've made that thing and you i ran this game with my my uh this friend of mine at work and now we're married you know or whatever <laughs> they're gonna have like some fucking story right like um that uh and like i know i know i know that that is in your future <laughs> uh, and i just hope that when you meet that person they're they're cool and not and not weird
2: and not a yeah. stalker and and that and their yeah. story isn't oh and you know what really let me know that they were the one was they totally helped me hide a body
1: right right uh so, oh,
5: no. right that, that game Sweet. that game really brings back memories of when i was chased out of uh the, <laughs> chased out of the capital by cops and was like
1: oh right okay. uh, oh <laughs> lord oh no oh uh, that 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 escalated real fast uh, uh, um but i'm <laughs> a, but i'm i'm very excited i'm very excited for uh your future
5: well, i'll keep you that, in mind for that so like and that
1: in that. oh if you if i'm nearby and that happens to you and you're weirded out please do flag because i am totally happy to out awkward anyone on a convention <laughs> uh, skill, skill that i have uh, i
0: yeah. just
1: worry i just worry about this kind of thing when it happens to my canadian friends because you might not realize it's happening to you and then just start apologizing profusely and then (laughs) like i don't like i don't know what will happen if you're in a convention in america and somebody's getting in on your space that's their fault i just want you to remember that (laughs) like like set your boundaries accordingly and like if you have to apologize like softly to yourself as you're walking away that's all I it's my it's my
5: guidance i can handle it i think i can handle it anyway we'll see maybe (laughs) you're right but uh i think it like worth stating though because i mean i kind of like avoid any like oh what inspires you or whatever but like as far as like games so another thing that's a little different to me like a lot of my gameplay experience and this might this is where it might sound really weird but i take um what uh i've like i haven't done much of it Lately, but i've watched or listened to a, a ton of actual plays and so I've like take my um the, their experiences and like how it was run by them and be like oh man like these mechanics are like working you know this way and that's so cool type of thing so so like my biggest um inspiration a- of a game would be um blades in the dark uh even though like i don't really uh I haven't really used it in in the sense of like the mechanics specifically um but um i just uh really enjoy how the how well the game works and and i'm speaking from watching like john harper gm it too so that gives a little added uh bit of like him being able to make it work exactly how he wants it to work without like sort of like uh player interpretation of the book that might sort of lose how uh, some of the intention of the game.
1: John is definitely very good at running a John Harper game.
5: Yeah, exactly. Um, So, so blades in the dark is a big inspiration of a game for me, but, um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of really interesting material out there and, and we tend to sort of gravitate to. um,
1: Did you know, did you know that motherfucker worked on Talislanta Lanta back in the day?
5: Uh, like i like, think i actually did hear that but n- not knowing that, what Talislanta is which might be sort of <laughs> takeaway from been, my cred <laughs>
1: he's been he's been around he's uh he's uh uh been in it uh, quite a long time yeah uh i'm i'm very john, I, i'm very fond of of his design work i'm i'm a i'm, a, I'm a john harper uh fan
0: speaking uh, of you being so. a fan of things uh we all answered the question so
1: sure. Here's mine. Um, so uh, you know, the reason why I asked the question in the first place is it's it's difficult for me because um I literally devoted my life to the the um the practice of cracking open as as diverse a range of role playing games as possible and like
2: mm-hmm.
1: um you know tr- attempting to absorb the stuff uh that was in them. Like I, I've been um since I started taking uh this career path very, and unfortunately, seriously, uh, I have, uh, you know, I would buy, I, I, I buy literally the most obscure games, whatever it is that's most popular. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll just tear through everything. So I've had a million of these moments, because um, one of the great, um, amazing uh, things <laughs> about the hobby is that there's so many people with so many amazing ideas. And everybody. Has some to teach, uh, like I think. But the first, I think, one of the first big ones for me that has had a long-term influence was um, um Hong Kong action theater. Uh, uh, the the first version, not the not the Guardians Order tristat version, but the original one that uh, uh, that uh, Gareth Michael Skarka, and some other folks did, um and what i remember about that game is it was the first game that i played where the person that i was playing was an actor rather than a character so there's a two layers two layerings of distance between you and the final sort of of, of a point of interface with the with the, the fiction because you don't in hong kong action theater in theater play archetypal Hong Kong action cinema characters, you literally play Jet Li, Chow Yun-fat, Anita Mui, Michelle Yeoh, uh, and you go from movie to movie taking your character sheet with you. And what your character sheet has on it is sort of the, the uh, touchstones of what make you an attractive performer to your audience. And that includes some of your physical training. Like, are you better with guns? Are you a martial arts person? Do you do wire work? Like, what do you do? Um, And then some other perks and benefits, where like you you can like um, you know get script rewrites and stuff like that. And as you go from session to session, you get cast in a role in another movie. So the first session of a Hong Kong action theater game might be like I'm Jet Li in Fist of Legend. But then the next session is I'm Jet Li in the bodyguard from Beijing, right? Cool. And it is a campaign in the technical sense because you go from session to session to session and you take this character forward and forward and forward, but you ca- but it is a campaign that is composed of one shots, but The mechanical binding behind some of it is this currency called star power. So the idea is that you are all trying to make sure that each individual movie is as successful as possible. And you spend your star power, and this is the luck, willpower, make my rules not suck so much mechanic, right? Where you spend this star power to have script rewrites go in your favor. And the, the game does a very good job of framing sort of the the meta mechanics right in those terms and what it it taught me and it's something that i'm still really thinking about and something that is sort of sort of slith- slithers through a lot of my design work is this idea that as human beings as players we bring a unique contribution to the table simply by being who we are. And that there's a way in RPGs, an underexplored area of RPGs, I think, is connecting to that, to that sort of unique humanity in a player. Because of course, a lot of design, especially because it's trying to be commercial design, and, and I don't knock this, is, is we want this to be accessible to the widest variety of groups possible, right? Mm-hmm. But I think a lot about mechanics that take advantage of what I, as Leonard Balsera, as a person who is good at improv, uh, who has a particular aesthetic interest, blah, 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 can bring uniquely to a table that nobody else but me can bring. Uh, and what Hong Kong Asian Theater taught me is is that you can by that just by the having that filter of there's a distance between me, the player, and the character I'm playing, but that character is actually an actor. And there's another distance between that actor and the role they're playing in the movie, which is the actual thing we're playing through, the moment to moment action at the table, is playing through that movie, right? And that I have an opportunity to sort of tune that actor character to the chops of like what I know as a as a person, as a performer, as a whatever, um, in order to make the coolest the coolest movie happen, right? Um, and and just just having that little bit that like that fucking like five inches of additional space has really gotten me thinking about how to bring sort of the unique human qualities of every person that sits down at the table into play in a way that it can influence play on a mechanical level and and so on and so forth right and like this is this what is what came out of Like aspects and fate are part of this this idea, right? Like aspects are really we would call them now memes, right? Every aspect is basically a meme, right? And like sort of when you sit down at the table, you the human being are responsible for sort of like finding the most interesting expression for these memes. So like they are very personal, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like it's hard to write a generic fate scenario. Because the individual aspects that the individual character has and how the player sort of brings those aspects into play is such a huge part of the process that it can't just be like any four characters, blah blah, blah blah, right? It's so it's so individuated, it's so um, specific to the people involved. And I feel like that is like the arena of design that I am interested in and concerned with most. And it was because I saw that, that, that two layer distancing thing in Hong Kong action theater that really started clicking my brain um, in that direction. Uh, and, you know, to the feeble degree that I've been able to realize it in my design work, I feel fortunate. Um, I I wish I could do more and better. Uh, but, you know, everybody does.
3: So. <laughs> I really like this idea. So what you're saying is really that the mechanics um, are sort of deriving from what that player is uniquely bringing like what that, yeah, through the lens of the player, there are mechanics that could not be as uh, precise or like as accurate for someone else. like their their version would be different just based on their interpretation or like their personality. Uh, like
1: it's like um uh what uh what uh, Kevor was saying earlier, right? Mm-hmm. um about about one of the great anchor points right paradigmatically that apocalypse world gave us was this idea of the fundamental construct of the role playing game is a conversation yeah right well what the fuck is the most important part of a conversation you like the people that in it right sure. um and uh that i feel like uh there's an RPG uh Jason Pitt, uh the Spark RPG by Jason Pitt mm-hmm. has a thing thing in there, a mechanic. Like one of the things that you can do in that game that's so interesting is that you can give your own aesthetic preferences as a player a voice with a die. Like you can pick up your I don't remember if it's your spark die. I don't remember which of the fucking two dice it is. Um but uh he's gonna he's gonna be he's gonna nitpick if he listens to this he's gonna nitpick at me because I didn't fucking remember, but um <laughs> Uh, but there's Another a die person. that you can uh, that you can pick up and say, I as a player am going to put this die here because I preferentially would like the villain to get away. And you can make that statement on a purely human audience level. And that is a powerful and underutilized. Idea in the medium, I think, of like really remembering that like we're a group of people sitting at a table doing a thing, Mm -hmm. because the paradigm has been so long. Like you know, you know, I I hate I hate using the four-letter i-word immersion, but like uh, that's been a lot of it. Like you you get in your character and your character is your avatar and you interface with everything else through your character, and you sort of. Are obligated on some level to subsume yourself, right? As a as a mm-hmm. because you're here to, to play the character, right? Um and I kind of want to go the opposite way. I'm like, okay, I get that the character is there, but what I really care about is that I'm looking across the table and I'm looking at you in the in the eyes. And I wanna know what you're gonna bring to this in order to get your own rocks off. I wanna know how to get your rocks off. By bringing content that's going to turn you on right. and um hold on let's talk about role-playing games uh <laughs> um yeah so yeah, uh anyway, point, sounded
2: like the role-playing games in the bedroom for a moment point there.
1: Point, point being point being um <laughs> that like that like i feel like they really turning turning that thing outward and saying okay look we have all of these ways of mechanizing the conversation of structuring it of of, bo- of bounding it in in various ways. We've spent decades on that fucking pursuit. Maybe it's time that we think more about the the people that are coming to the table and like how to how to ha- how to design the interface of the game so that it reaches out to them yep. more effectively as individuals, right?
3: For sure. Completely agree with that. Um, and there are some really cool games that I think are, are leaning more in that direction, especially just to give the agency to the players of saying, like, there are things that your characters might not want, but that you want as the the source of intrigue or of, like, telling the narrative. Like, a character doesn't want to die, but it might be narratively interesting and exciting for everyone to see that. Um, right, or right. something along those lines. Or even just asking the players what kind of game they want is something that I've tried to take in my design and say... Everyone, sit down, answer these questions. What are the things that you right. want to see in this game? Because that's right. a, be
1: mechanically part of it now. There's a lot of good, what I would call soft design around setting the social expectations. You know, and all this, the safety tool stuff yeah. sort of is part of that DAX card and script change uh, and like that stuff um, is part of it. But like for me, there's sort of a Shangri Law we haven't hit yet about really bringing in uh, like what i would love is to be able to mechanize um the and and distribute sort of authority at the table around the kind of stuff that a, a a player brings so i have a friend my friend i've had this friend um since high school my friend andy and he is like the Bruckheimer of role-playing like it does not matter what the fuck the game is. That person will bring like the most stylish, the most like, like interesting action sequencing hmm. uh, of anybody else that that I've ever played with. Just over the top. Like he's just got such a great mind for like putting together. The imaginative details of a a high octane sequence, right? Right. whether it's a chase or whether it's shit blown up or whatever it is, right? What I would love is to have a game where I could literally not audition that guy, because obviously there's no, I mean, the people that are going to play are going to fucking play, right? But to be able to like sit down and go, Andy, you're the Bruckheimer. So whenever we in this game get to this point where it's like high octane stylish action, and we sort of need a final word on what's going on. We're gonna throw to you. And it doesn't matter what what character is being played, who's playing what? Like here's currency or dice or some fucking thing to where like you're just you're the Bruckheimer. like you're gonna bring you're the final arbiter of that mm-hmm. thing, right? One of my other characters uh, or players in real life is a cultural anthropologist. So I say to her, all of the fantasy races in this thing, assuming that you don't want it to feel like work if you're cool with it, right? We throw to you, right? When anyone needs to know some detail about how this species operates, right? Like, we throw to you. And to really bring the unique contributions that we can make as people to establishing this shared fiction, but also in a way that, like, it mechanically interfaces with play. This is like my fucking dream. Like, if I ever figure out how to do this, i'll die happy (sighs) man man, like well
0: i wish you luck in that in mind
2: they're definitely gonna sorry it it
0: sounds impossible because that would be different at literally every table but like what you're trying to press on and if you try to make a standardized version there would be some places where people would end up doing things that they don't fully flow into, but if you ever figure out how to do it, and I have way more faith that you could do it than I could, I'm very interested in seeing how, and seeing that. I'm sorry.
1: I mean, if I even get close, I'd be happy.
0: Interestingly enough, I don't
2: think everybody's going to enjoy that because I mean, there's definitely going to be people that will, like Gavara's voice, interest in this. I think I would absolutely hate that <laughs>
3: Yeah, I would be and, all over it. I think that sounds amazing. So I think
2: it's gonna be up to individual preferences, but that kind of setup, like just to give you an idea, the kind of people that would be against that. It's like the idea of say somebody that anytime, okay, we need something interesting for that species. We're all going to look to this one person that's going to do everything. It's like, okay, but there's other people that, you know, they may not be as good at that thing, but they bring their own personal, unique touch to it as well. Like, they'll come up with things that that one person would never have come up with. And I've worked as like a ghostwriter before and one of the things that i learned is that even people who they may not have like the professional training to write a novel or something they still have good ideas they may not have the best ideas that have ever existed but they definitely have good ideas and basically cutting them out of that process in favor of the one person would actually, I feel it would actually end up depriving a lot of people. Rather than,
1: I I think you might be reading into how divisions. hard the divisions would be, right? Like, yeah. I'm not necessarily saying that it would be like one person's. T- I mean, it's the same thing. Like everything in a, at a at a role playing game table is is sort of um um what was the term that Vincent Baker used uh a a, a cultly co owned, right? Like. Hmm. It's still a conversation. It's still a, a negotiation. It's still a discussion, right? But it's this idea of like distributing. It's 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 how you, it's another way of thinking about how you distribute credibility and authority. Narratively mm-hmm. around around a, a table, right? So I would imagine it being something more like in the in the in the in the movement of it, right? Of a player, well, like if I have the Bruckheimer the over here. Go ahead. Sorry, Cavor. Go ahead
0: yeah the the like I heard the term final say, and that's the bit I agree with, basically <laughs> so, well
1: or or well, I don't even know if it's fine, you know if it's final, right like that's the experiment, right? is figuring yeah. out what is the distri- what is the distribution of credibility and authority yes, that okay. would make this work. but if I'm imagining like the Bruckheimer, I'm still as a player gonna be like, yeah, I think my character uh runs across the railing of the 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 uh uh thing like you know tightrope style jumps onto the moving train and like two guns out you know guns down the the scouts on the top of the train right but there's a moment that we check in with andy andy's like yeah legit or andy goes hey what if we also right it's just like as soon as like as soon as like we have that moment we cut to the recognized authority to sort of guide the conversation in progress right the way that a gm would perhaps normally accept it's sort of like like code like distributed across the table depending on what subject matter that we're talking about is is something closer to how i probably imagine it would work in a practical mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. um uh is you know and then and then andy and maybe there's even some mechanical responsibility maybe andy goes yeah that's definitely a d10 stunt. here you go and the player takes a d10 and it's like Fuck yeah d10 and uh, you know or whatever right uh and then and then we continue forward right so if i'm like if i'm like hey cultural anthropologist person i think that this species has a taboo against eating uh desserts uh Mm -hmm. her job would be to go how did that happen right and interrogate it, and like you know use their interests and maybe she's not a professionally cultural anthropologist she's just the one at the table who gives a fuck right about that about that thing um that's sort of more like how i imagine it would it would work in a practical sense, but it's it's sort of to, like, to, like, allow people to assume some level of conversational authority over the subjects that they care more about or have more expertise in than the other people at the table.
3: Yeah, I, I, I get... Sorry. No, go ahead.
2: Okay, well, I get the concept there. One of the things that does concern me immediately about that is there's always that gonna be that potential risk for like you'll get somebody who's like, oh I thought of this neat idea and then it gets run by somebody else and they're like, Yeah, but we can make it so much better. And it's like, oh yeah, I guess your my idea wasn't good enough. Like that's definitely gonna cause some issues for especially insecure people already. Great. So that's going to be tricky to do. If you can figure out a way to do that and actually have it so that it encourages them to do more, where it actually makes them feel like you're bolstering their idea instead of basically them interpreting it as constantly putting them down is not good enough that would be amazing though that's that's the kind of thing that you'd almost need a psychology degree for yeah
5: or or a consultant well i think like that
1: or many consultants
5: we can never like forget that buy-in like whenever we go into a game we're not we acknowledge that we're not playing like d d right? So whoever's playing the game knows what the game is. And I mean, we should always make that the point of like the introduction to <laughs> the game. So that at least, even if, I'm not saying this doesn't get rid of that situation, but you're sort of like um, avoiding those situations before they happen. But I think it sounds like there's like, just like these meta like the character each person has a character and then each person has like a meta role like you know the you're the action consultant you're like the whatever the passion consultant you're the technical consultant and i could see a situation
2: choreographer
5: basically yeah exactly and i can see a situation where like you never lose um sort of agency with your character but like in each situation where the certain consultant applies they have like Sort of like overall thematic, say right. It's it's really interesting. I can see like um, working towards something like that, and it seems very uh, GM feel like
1: like multiple I,
5: GM or or no GM right. or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's
1: definitely
2: right. I, an interesting idea. Yeah. I
1: sort of I sort of feel like all of the social problems that could come up are already social problems that are a danger in any game where there's a GM and players. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like. It's the same it's the same problems it's just that um you know uh it, it, now you have to structure a conversation between you know five people that could potentially be assholes instead of one yeah uh
2: that also planning. increases the risks a lot because the chances of just the gm not being or just the gm being an asshole it's like okay well there's one person there but we if you know that person isn't an asshole, it's great. If you have like a full group of people and you have to make sure none of them are an asshole, it's like right. okay, that's actually starting to get difficult.
1: Sure, yeah, I definitely probably. I mean, any any iteration of this thing, I would not play at conventions probably. Uh, like, you know, but oh, I mean, that
2: makes it that much harder. Like, how are you gonna? Right. Sell the game? It's like, right, oh, like, you can't, like, can't bring it to a convention. So.
1: Uh, you know, well I mean uh if I if I was still <clears throat> interested after after long years of lessons to the contrary, interested in making money on RPGs, uh I would be doing different stuff. So I mean like that part is not daunting to me at all, actually. Like, <laughs> like um well, it's, I'm,
2: not, I, it's not the I, money part. It's the idea of being able to get it well known enough that it's able to be seen and known by the people that would enjoy it at least that's how i look at it it's not like the game itself is there for the sake of profit it's that the game is here so that people can enjoy it and i want the people that are going to enjoy it to be able to enjoy the game because they know it exists if they never know about it because it just gets shoved off in some corner somewhere then it trade like, i'll just well, trade I all failed.
1: my i'll just trade all my dress and files cachet for it, That's <laughs> <all. When laughs> That's it like, like the the advantage that i have is that i'm a brand right so yeah, like
2: true you get uh, a, you get a bit of help there
1: i i'll at least move 150 copies of it like <laughs> like wow. uh you know whatever it is it doesn't matter what it is right like uh uh, at least 150 people will check it out just to find out what a cockamamie shit I came up with this time. Right? Like, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean it is a lofty goal. But I also, you know, it it's one of those things. Aim you aim high so that when you fall short of it, the thing you the place you land is still pretty good, right? Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if I get anywhere in the ballpark of any of the goals I've stated, that I mean, I'd still think that I would probably make a positive contribution to the to the uh uh, uh the the, converse, the medium the conversation right yeah, that's something
2: that I've always felt myself I always found that was so weird that often the advice is the opposite like set easy goals for yourself to achieve, and it's like what it's like if I meet those goals, then it'll just feel bad because it's like, well, it wasn't much of a goal anyway, and if I fail that goal oh, oh, that's going to be horrible. But if I set an unrealistic goal and I actually make it, that's amazing. If I fail, no big deal. So why do they give the other advice? It's terrible.
1: Uh, Well, I mean, I think it's all about managing your mental health, right? Like, I, I can chase that goal without endangering my mental health if I fall short of it. Uh yeah. I think I think that I think that that's one of those those things about like you've gotta know when to be kind to yourself and like never allow yourself to be good enough in a particular context, right? Mm. Or or when you can um you know shoot shoot for the moon or whatever without uh without yeah. crushing your own soul.
0: I think a lot of mm. that comes down to uh basically publishing literally anything is better than uh being sixty six years into uh, working on a game for your designer credit, but anyway, we should probably wrap this <laughs> wrap this up uh, for now, and we'll probably continue this conversation. But for the epi- for the purposes of I this episode, I think we I, I think that we should uh, just say our closing thoughts and uh, call it, if that's okay with everyone. Yeah, that's fine.
1: I'll go. I'll go last.
0: Okay. perfect
2: <laughs> Trent's gonna go first. What? Uh-huh. Haha. I don't know. will go, first. go, first. Yeah, Monty go,
1: first. go Mon- first. Monty will go first.
4: All right. <laughs> Just experience what you can. Uh, consume as much media as you can of various types. You don't know where inspiration is going to come from or how it's going to take form. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well said. I think keeping an open mind about all the things that you're experiencing whether it's in games or outside is gonna be how the medium moves forward and how you move forward as a designer just being open to whatever it is that comes your way and seeing how it can be turned into a cool game
0: Uh, uh, despite everything we have talked about today design principles are important don't forget them i guess that's all i have to say that hasn't been said already jonathan
5: Uh, Don't let anyone tell you you haven't played enough of anything or everything, and don't let anyone tell you uh, that you shouldn't start designing yet. Um, Yeah, just do it. Uh, Acknowledge that you won't do your best work. Your first work won't be your best work, but don't let that stop you because you always have to do your first work first. Mm, To
2: play on that, I'd say you will never get anything perfect like it'll never be done that was something that i learned in college that they were very adamant about was that if it's artistic you never truly finish it you can always do something more to make it better you can always always hone something you can always make it better somehow The limiting reagent is either you run out of time, you run out of money, you run out of patience, you run out of something, like some sort of resource, but you never truly finish anything artistic because they can never truly be finished. So just be able to recognize the point at which you get to where it's like, I can devote more time and effort into this, but it's not gonna improve it to a degree that is worth the effort. And that's probably when you should stop.
1: My closing thought is that my freelance schedule opens up on March the 1st. Uh, I, I live in a country that has no economic safety nets. Um, please, uh, uh, if any of the things that, that any anyone, including, doesn't matter if it was me or not, uh, if anything anyone said tonight resonates with you, please hire me uh, <laughs> because uh, uh, I uh, I just uh, no um, no what I, what I what I actually what I actually want to say what I actually want to say is um, is that um, one of the things that may discourage you when you're doing this. Uh, is that you may discover that this amazing transformative thought you had about how the the hobby should be uh, is a thing that uh, resembles something that somebody else has done. So I talked about parallel development at the beginning of the episode uh, in terms of in terms of its positives. Uh, and because I am a professional that knows a great deal about story structure, I'm gonna now now bring it back. Um, is uh, that um, you should never feel daunted, you should never feel intimidated uh, by the fact that somebody else may have had a similar thought to you, that somebody else may have had a similar design thing uh, to you, that you see somebody's game out in the wild and they explore the same concept that you do. Um, The real, real meaning of originality is that however often a thing has been done, it has not yet been done by you. And that matters. Mm -hmm. So find your inspirations where they come. Design what speaks to you and what you're passionate about. If it turns out that you did the same thing as somebody else or something similar to it, celebrate that, because it means that, uh, that it was probably a good idea.
2: I totally agree with this. Mm. Nobody has screwed this up in mm. this specific brand in a way that I will screw it up. <laughs>
3: yes. Good night, everyone. One way of looking at it. <laughs>
4: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, or not, we're not picky, leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, and and Pornhub. Because why not? Got to go where your audience is, right? Good night, everyone.